fall preview weekend registration is open right now. It's open to the first 100 people who register. We are capping this event at 100 people, and registration closes October 15th. Check it out on the IBC website, indianabible.college. We hope to see you there. Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic ministers today. And this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Today on the podcast, we have our very own academic dean, Reverend Jennifer Mast, preaching a sermon entitled Rotten Potatoes and Rotten Curses. Sister Mast is a real example of overcoming challenge in her personal life and calling and coming out on the other side, and it's always a treat to listen to her. She is articulate, a voracious reader, a brilliant mind. Let's get right to Sister Jennifer Mast, preaching IBC Chapel. So without further ado, uh, if you'd like to open your Bibles, I'm going to preach from Psalm chapter 3. We're going to reference 2 Samuel 16 as well. Um, If you want to put a finger there, we probably won't bring up each and every one of the verses, but I am going to reference it just so you know the context for Psalm chapter 3. I'm going to preach to you this morning on the subject, rotten curses and rotten potatoes. Everybody say rotten curses and rotten potatoes. I've only preached this one other time, and it was kind of funny because I was in a church and I was given this this, uh, introduction that I was completely unworthy of, uh, that was quite a um, (laughs) humbling, humbling... uh, Introduction, and then I stepped to the pulpit and said I was going to preach about rotten potatoes. It was, it was a little interesting. It was like, okay, am I in the will of God right now? Because I just got this great, overflowing, abundant introduction that I'm not worthy about of, and I'm, I'm preaching about rotten potatoes and rotten curses. So let's start in Psalm chapter 3. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. You can be seated. <clears throat> Now, in order to understand the context of this passage, we have to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 16. Because we find in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 5 through 13, well, actually backing up even more than that, but specifically I'm pulling from chapter 16, verses 5 through 13, we find the context for David's writing of these verses. And when we understand exactly why he was pinning what he was pinning, it begins to make so much more sense. You know, sometimes the Psalms, reading them at face value, don't really make a lot of sense. Why is the man of God so overwhelmed? Why is the man after, who's after God's own heart so overwhelmed by the trials and tribulations of this life? But if you connect it to its passage, you connect it to its historical context, suddenly it all begins to, to fall together and to make sense. Because you see, David had a problem in his kingdom. He had a son who he had named the father of peace. And this son was leading a rebellion against his father. Absalom was seeking to seize control of the kingdom. He employed chariots, horses, 50 men to run before him. He sat in the gate and judged the people. You see, anytime somebody comes and tries to subvert the cause and the will of God and subvert the leadership in the kingdom, they're always going to step out to the side and try to get people to, to come over to their side. They're always going to try to win hearts and minds and do that which is unethical and lacks integrity. He lied to David and pretended that he was going to Hebron to serve God, and instead he sent spies 
of the tribes that proclaim him king in Hebron. When the trumpet sounded, Absalom had 200 men with him. And when David heard, he fled, lest he be overtaken by the sword of his son, Absalom, the father of peace. You can imagine that David's heart was absolutely positively ripped in two. It was severed. It was broken. This man loved his son. This man had compassion for his son. He had called him the father of peace. And yet this son had grown up to be a renegade. He had grown up to be the exact opposite of what his name seemed to convey. There was no way he couldn't have felt the abandonment of that moment. There was no way he couldn't have felt the, the heavy weight of his son's rebellion and the instability of his own position. God had called him to be the king of Israel, and yet his son was, was seeking to take control of the kingdom to rend it from his hands. What is the man of God to do? So we find in this verse, he says, many are there increased that trouble me. Many are there that rise up against me. You can feel the passion behind David's words. You can understand that he feels like everyone has turned against him. Some of his own closest confidence have turned against him and are following Absalom. His own son has betrayed him. There are many that say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. It's difficult when even your friends count you down for the count. And then he says, Selah, which is a pause for contemplation. Now in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 5 through 13, we find David on the run. David on the run from his own son. How illogical, how, how insane is that to be in that type of predicament? And we find that a man of the house of Saul comes out and he begins throwing stones and cursing David. His name is Shimei. I find that a funny name. It looks like Shim, Shimei in the English, but technically in the Hebrew it's Shimei. You might as well name him Groovin or something. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it strikes me as funny that his name is Shimmy. But the, the man's name is Shimmy. It's, it's kind of hard looking back at scripture to be afraid of a man named Shimmy, just saying. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there because that's his name. His name is Shimmy. He says, come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, and whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul. Behold, thou art taken in mischief. In other words, he's saying your past has caught up with you, David. All the mistakes you made has, call, has, has caught up with you. The fact that you're an illegitimate pretender to the crown who's, who, who took the crown away from Saul has caught up with you. Because remember, this man is a follower of Saul. So he's not speaking truth. He's not speaking peace. He's not speaking that which is correct. He's speaking a false message. Abishai, David's companion, offers to take off the head of the dead dog that he dubs Shimei. Shimei. He says, let him curse before the Lord. And David answers him and says, let him curse because the Lord has said unto him, curse David. Who shall then say, wherefore hast thou done so? Behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone and let him curse for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look upon my infliction and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. You see, David in this moment, Abishai wanted to go and cut off the head of the man who was throwing rocks at at the man of God. He wanted to go and kill him. He wanted to have an immediate response. And David said, hold off, hold off. Don't kill him. Let him curse. Maybe God told him to curse. Or maybe God's still going to come through in the midnight hour. I don't really know, but let him do what he is doing. Now, you've got you've to understand here that David in this moment was wrestling with God whether or not God was afflicting him, for the man of God to say, perhaps the man who is speaking lies and speaking falsehoods is sent by God, 
says that he's not quite sure what God is doing in that moment. He's wrestling with God. He's wrestling with those that afflicted him. He's wrestling with insecurity. He's wrestling with the rebellion and the betrayal of his son. He's wrestling perhaps with shadows from his own past, the vestiges of dysfunction. He's, he's asking, did I go too far? Am I beyond God's help? Everybody says there's no hope for me in God. Perhaps I'm beyond his touch and beyond his hand. And the Bible tells us in verse 13 of 2 Samuel 16, that And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along on the hillside over against them and cursed them as he went. He threw stones at him and cast dust. See, there's nothing worse than feeling completely destitute of God. There's nothing worse than being in the middle of a trial or test and thinking that all hope is gone. Thinking that those that speak lies against you or those that would speak falsehoods into your life are sent by God to afflict you because perhaps you've done something wrong or perhaps you've, you've not escaped the shadow of past sins or the shadow of past family dysfunction or whatever the case may be. There's nothing worse than feeling like you're beyond his touch and that's precisely where we find David in this moment. You see, when trials arise in your life, IBC student, that is the very moment when Satan is going to be on the move, taking every opportunity to destroy hope and to hasten defeat. And let me tell you something. His stones may assault you. I guarantee you that if David is, is, is uh, having stones thrown at him, that some of those hit their mark. I guarantee you he had bruises and bumps, that he had scars, that he had cuts, and he had abrasions from what was taking place. I guarantee you he was, he was wincing from the pain. I guarantee you he went to bed that night and couldn't find a, a side to sleep on that felt quite comfortable because he was in pain. He was in emotional pain. He was in physical pain. He was struggling with the weight of a trial and a test that he had no way to anticipate. And suddenly not only did he have someone afflicting him, externally but he also had the internal affliction of the trial coming against him wrestling with God wrestling with his his character did I do something wrong with Absalom did I do something wrong that caused this to happen is there dysfunction in the kingdom maybe I misunderstood God's voice maybe I wasn't truly meant to be king I don't know perhaps I'll just let him curse because his the stones of shimmy assaulted him they pierced his heart and magnified his pain and disillusionment. See, that's what Satan does in the midst of trial and the test. See, there's some of you that walked into IBC with a very real call of God on your life, and I believe every one of you has a call of God on your life. But there's some of you that walked into IBC, and since you walked through the doors, tragedy has already hit. Struggles have already hit. Trials and tribulations have already hit. And suddenly you feel the affliction of the enemy. You feel the lies of the enemy speaking deep into your soul questioning the call of God, questioning whether or not you're in the will of God, questioning whether or not you can escape the family dysfunction that would seem to keep you bound, questioning whether or not you could escape all of the lies of the enemy and all of the curses that have been spoken into your life, the rotten curses like the curses of Shimmy. You see, Satan, when you're in your darkest moment, when you're walking through a trial or test, when you're in a desert and you don't know where the next drink of refreshing water is going to be found, he's going to remind you of the father that walked away. He's going to remind you of the mother who maybe said you wouldn't grow up to become anything. He's going to remind you of every friend that turned his back on you or turned her back on you. He's going to remind you of the dysfunction you grew up in and say that that marks you as incapable, that marks you as broken, and you cannot become anything in the kingdom of God. And suddenly you have not only assault from the outside, but suddenly your own heart begins to condemn you, and you're wrestling with the call of God. You're wrestling with the character of God, and you're wrestling with your own character. You see, my friends, there will always be a shimmy. Sometimes external, other times internal. Your own heart curses your misfortune, and suddenly your spiritual well-being and your potential is on the line. David was overwhelmingly oppressed 
He was depressed. He felt the, the sting of defeat. He was questioning all that God was and whether or not God had abandoned him. Had God sent Shimmy to curse him? Perhaps the anointing oil had dissipated from his life. Perhaps God had abandoned him. Maybe he had gone too far. Maybe he had made one too many mistakes. Maybe he wasn't truly who he thought God had called him to be. Perhaps he should just accept defeat. Perhaps he should just accept that the words of the enemy are the words of truth. When fear grips your heart and sorrow plagues your every step, you are susceptible to the lies of the enemy of your soul. And there's nothing worse than the fear that God is against you. When the past looms as a giant in the present, bringing insecurities and bringing questions, fear, as one writer put it, can, is much like self-pity. It can become a prison of its own making. Let me say that again. Fear like self-pity can become a prison of its own making. Fear that you're not in the will of God. Fear that you weren't meant to come to IBC. Fear that God didn't truly call you into ministry. That he didn't call you to the foreign mission field. That he didn't call you to home missions. That he didn't call you to preach his word. That he didn't call you to write songs that would lift up the worship for the next generation. Let me tell you something, friends. You are exactly where you are meant to be. The trial and the test does not define you. Your past does not define you. Your family situation does not define you. And the lies of the enemy cannot define you in this life. Furthermore, oftentimes the temptation when we're going through a trial or a test is to think that the trial means that God has forsaken us or that God doesn't love us. But, but the trial is not indicative of his love for us. His love for us took him to the cross of Calvary. His love for us allowed him to shed his precious blood for us. His love was everlasting. He loved us unto the end, unto the, the full capacity of what one is capable of loving. And he loved us to the end of his own life. This means that when you walk through the trial or the test, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that he hasn't forsaken you. It means that he is working something beautiful out in your life. It means that he's working on the rough patches. He's working on the rough edges, and he's doing something magnificent. Yes, you may feel the assault of the enemy. Yes, you may feel the, the rocks and the stones hit, but God is going to be the healer. I remember one time in my life when I was a Bible college student talking to a man of God and him pouring into my life and talking about, you know, struggling with family dysfunction and struggling with all these different things. And I remember him telling me it, it gets worse before it gets better, but it's always going to get better when you put it in the hands of God. And I will tell you that is the utmost truth. God will allow sometimes the, the affliction of the enemy will allow a trial or test to come because it perfects you. It refines you like gold in the fire. It creates something beautiful that you could not be outside of him. Many of you have heard me say this before, but I remember going through a trial many, many years ago now and just going, God, man, if you can just get me back to what I was a month ago. If I can just feel your presence again, because I'm praying, but it feels like <laughs> Shakespeare said once, words fly up, thoughts remain below. Words without thoughts, never to heaven go. And that's what I felt like. Felt like my words were just bouncing up against the ceiling and, and boomeranging back to me. And there was no God that was listening, no God that could hear, no God that heard my cry. And I was devastated in that moment. And I was so very broken. And I just wanted to get back to where I could feel his presence. And I just kept begging him. I want to get back to where I was just a little bit before I can imagine David doing the same thing. Can I just go back? Can I have a redo with Absalom? Can I do something differently? Can I just get back to a couple days ago when I could lay my head easily down at night, when I had no clue of this rebellion that was stirring, when I had no clue in the affliction of the enemy, but I know when I wrestled with that in the moment, God spoke deeply into my heart. And he said, 
You want to go back to what you were before, but I'm going to make something better than you could imagine. I'm creating something new in you that you can't imagine. I'm going to take what was broken, and I'm going to create something beautiful. I'm going to take what was mere ashes, and I'm going to bring forth beauty from the ashes because that's what God does. You can't give in to the process. You can't give in in the process. You can't give in to the rotten curses of the enemy. You see the lies of the enemy, and I would suggest that the thought that many said that there was no hope to, for David and God had begun to penetrate deep into David's soul. You see the battle lines began to, began to be drawn. The trial and the test had come, and David had a choice. When the enemy came pronouncing defeat and death, David could have assumed a stance of defeat and allowed the words of Shimmy to become his lens for living. You want to know why many people spin out in ministry? Because the enemy's going to come. And if the lies of the enemy become your lens through which you see yourself, see God, and see his call in your life, you are never going to become what God has called you to be. Some of you have to step back and say, you know what? I may have come from a broken home. I may have come through a difficult situation. I may, may have had things happen that were inexplicable and unexplainable. I might have come from a church that is broken and is <laughs> broken five times over. I might have come from a situation where I have friends or siblings or family members that have abandoned me. But you know what? God, I'm going to allow you to define me. I'm going to walk in the boldness of who you've created me to be. And God, for just a moment, I can see myself as you see me. Give me the courage to walk in your calling. Give me the courage to become who you've called me to be. And here's the thing. David wasn't holding tightly to the throne. He was saying, you know what? If this is God, I will take the affliction. If it is not God, then I will trust him to deliver me. And we're going to talk about how that's going to play out here in just a minute. But see, the, 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 the struggle in the midst of the trial or test is that our existence... To paraphrase Timothy Egan, thus harassed, deadened drain ceases to be a blessing and becomes a penalty. You see, when you allow the lies of the enemy to begin to penetrate your heart and turn you towards bitterness, hatred, and despair, towards depression and anxiety where you can't lay down your head at night, towards depression where you don't feel like you can interact with anybody because you feel like you're separate, because you feel like you're broken, then guess what? Your living can become something that feels more like a penalty than it does a blessing. But God has blessings in store for each and every person in this place. God has a future for each and every person in this place and a calling that is steadfast and secure if you will allow your heart and your mind to be anchored in the revelation of who he is. Guess what? The revelation of who he is allows me and you to bring our insecurities to God and he gives us boldness. He gives us strength to bring our, our weakness to him, and he meets us with his strength. To bring our lack of understanding and our lack of wisdom to him, and he meets us with knowledge and understanding. To bring our, 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 our hopelessness to him, and he brings us hope. He brings us strength. He undergirds our efforts. You see, you know, so oftentimes we think we have to be invulnerable with God, and we have to walk in and pretend like we have it all together. But guess what? He can't touch you with his strength unless you bring him your weaknesses. He can't touch you with his wisdom unless you say, God, I don't understand and I don't know and I don't have what I need to be able to make it another day, so I'm just going to trust you. See, I've, I've quoted it time and again. I've said it, and I'll probably say it till the day I die. But the fact of the matter is it takes a whole different level of faith when you recognize that it's, it's one thing to trust him for his hand of deliverance, but another thing to trust in his character when his hand of deliverance is not there. That's when you learn to walk in true faith. When you learn that sometimes victory is going to come when you walk into battle and you lay down every piece of your own armor and say, God, I'm trusting you to protect me. Guess what? 
your, his armor isn't going to fit as long as you have self-protection and your own armor on. As long as you're trying to shield yourself, his shield isn't going to work. As long as you have your own helmet on, it's not going to work. You can't have his helmet and your short sword when you walk into battle. You've got to lay it all down. And you've got to say, God, I'm at your disposal, and I'm trusting that you can fight this battle for me. Shimmy's words could have become the soundtrack of David's life stuck on repeat. Anybody ever wake up in the morning and just want the right soundtrack for the day? I'll spend half my morning switching songs because I just can't find the perfect song that just feels like it's the soundtrack for the day. Maybe it's a bright, sunny day, and it just sounds like a stormy, windy, sullen type of song. Or maybe it's, it's raining outside, and it, it just sounds like it's too sunshiny. I'm just flipping through again and again and again. Folks, do not allow the lies of the enemy to become the soundtrack for your life. That you wake up every morning in despair. You go to sleep in defeat. You wake up in depression. You, you go to sleep again in anxiety. That's not the will of God. There is no child of God that should walk that path. There's no child of God that should be so afflicted by the enemy that it begins to shape and mold who they are because God wants to shape and mold you in his image into what he desires for you to be. Don't let the lies of the enemy defeat you. Don't let the lies of the enemy break you down to where you become less than what God desires for you. God has a purpose for your life. He has a calling on your life. And I don't care where you came from. I don't care what your background is. God can use you in his kingdom. Not only can he use you, but he can use you to touch people that your neighbor cannot because you each come to the kingdom with a different experience, a different call, a different purpose, a different history, and a different background. And that is the will of God, my friends. That is the will of God. God. If we were all cookie cutters of one another, we could not reach people in the kingdom of God. But he brings us from every tribe of every nation, every background, every socioeconomic background, every race, every tongue, every tribe, and every people in order to reach this generation. Why? Because he loves his people. It's not just about using you to reach other people. It's because he loves you with an everlasting love. And he desires you to be in communion with him. And you in communion with him is going to transform you so that you can reflect him in ministry. You see, the voice of the enemy could have been the catalyst for David's final defeat. It could have been the battle that incapacitated and finally destroyed the giant killer. You see, that's a little sobering. It's a little sobering to read in scripture when Paul says, praise lest he become a castaway. Because you see, I don't care if you're just starting out in ministry or if you've been in ministry 60, 50, 60 years Every one of us is susceptible to the lies of the enemy, and every one of us has to fight our own battles in order to become who God has called us to be, in order to walk the path that he has set before us. And can I just offer up to you, sometimes you have to walk through the same desert and the same trial more than once, wrestle with the same things in a new way, and every time God brings forth something beautiful, every time God strengthens places that are weak and, and, and begins to perfect that which you didn't even recognize was still a place of weakness that could have rendered you susceptible to defeat you see you can choose to surrender in the heat of battle when the rotten curses the enemy come you can begin to to allow them to speak into your life to twist you towards bitterness to despair to self-hatred and defeat you know there's an interesting little tidbit i read a book several years ago and and this is the rotten potatoes component it's called the mortal irishman if you're a history buff it's a it's a fairly easy read by timothy egan he wrote the, wrote the Big Burn as well about uh, Teddy Roosevelt, and as well as several other books. He has one about the Dust Bowl. I can't think of the name right now. But The Mortal Irishman is the, my favorite of the ones that I've read thus far. It tells the story of a man of Irish descent whose name was Thomas Mager. He fought for Irish freedom. 
ended up being imprisoned in Tasmania for a number of years because of his uh, firebrand approach to fighting for liberty and for freedom. He ended up coming to America and becoming a passionate and powerful force during the American Civil War fighting for the freedom of the slaves. But you see, his background comes from a period of time during the Irish potato famine. Remember as a kid being kind of confused? Um, I, I was never a, a lover of potatoes. French fries maybe, potato chips maybe. I liked a potato pancake, if you all know what that is. Um, the southern style where you take the mashed potato and, and mix it with some egg and some onion and fry it up, pour ketchup all over it. Not healthy at all, but it's super good. I, I see I, see I get a, got an amen from Brother Ranking in the back. He's about to have a Holy Ghost shout down back there. Um, it's good stuff if you've never had it. But mashed potatoes, baked potatoes, I did not like them. I just boiled potatoes. I just was not a, a lover of potatoes. And I didn't understand why as a young kid, why uh, they would only want to eat potatoes. And, of course, uh, that wasn't the case. 1845 is when the Irish potato famine began. A fungus spread among the crops. The fungus killed half of the potato crops in the first year, three-fourths in the seven years that followed. Between 1846 and 1852, one million people died from starvation and disease, and another million immigrated. So because of this famine, one million people passed away, died of starvation in a civilized country, and a million others had to immigrate. In essence, one in four either died or immigrated of the Irish population. But historically, it's quite sobering when you begin to recognize what was actually taking place because, you see, none of these deaths had to be. The Irish were subjugated under British rule. They'd spent generation after generation working their own land without ever eating of its fruit or eating of its bounty. Because of the pressures of that time frame, the geopolitical pressures, they were convinced that they had no resources. They felt hopeless to fight against the enemy, to fight against the British Empire. And they felt powerless to fight, to partake of the bounty that should have been rightfully theirs. You see, the, the tragedy that was that there was plenty of food, yet the people starved. The tragedy was that almost the three-fourths of the country's cultivatable land was in corn, wheat, oats, and barley. The food came from Irish land, was produced through Irish labor, but it didn't go into Irish mouths. In fact, about 1.5 billion pounds of grain and other types of food were exported. Famine ravaged Ireland, exported more beef than any other part of the British Empire, yet the Irish people starved to death as they worked the land and produced that which would feed all of the surrounding nations. See, if the enemy can convince your heart to fear, you can starve to death in the land of plenty. I don't care how great preaching comes across the pulpit of Calvary Tabernacle, what you hear from your campus pastor here at IBC, or what comes across the pulpit from your peers on Thursday's chapel. You can starve to death in the land of plenty. You can starve to death while you're on the pews at IBC, while you're on the pews of Calvary Tabernacle, because the person standing behind the pulpit, the song leader, the person playing the piano, is not able to get you to where you need to go. You can starve to death in the land of plenty. God forbid you backslide on the pews of IBC. God forbid you backslide when you have the call of God on your life and he's called you to greatness. He's called you to be a world changer. Someone who will change, turn the world upside down and will transform hearts and lives for his kingdom. God forbid you allow the lies of the enemy to, seek in, to seek into your, sink into your soul to such an extent that you labor, that you go through the motions, that you raise your hands in chapel, that you come down to the altar, but you never find the sustenance because you refuse to cast out the lies of the enemy. What are you going to do with a trial that is before you? Are you going to allow the voice of the enemy to prevail, pushing you to hopelessness, despair, and defeat? 
You see, some of you may have been wrestling with the enemy so long at this point that it's become second nature. You've seeded a ground. You've sacrificed your spiritual growth. You've sacrificed potential based upon the lies of the enemy. Can I just tell you today, if you found yourself in that position where you've given up land, you've given up sustenance, you've given up that which is critical to your growth and your development, not only as a man or woman of of God called to, to the kingdom of God, but also just as a saint, can I just say it's time to look the devil in the eye and say, I'm not going any further. I'm not listening anymore. I know my God has called me. I know he shed his blood for me. I know he has me in the palm of his hand. It's time to serve the devil notice and say, I'm not listening to the curses of Satan anymore. I'm not going to listen to the rotten curses and I'm not going to eat of the rotten potatoes that do not give sustenance. I'm not going to starve to death while I'm at IBC. I'm going to become all that God has called me to be. See, Shimmy no longer even had to open his mouth because sometimes we get to the place where Shimmy no longer even has to open his mouth because you believe the lies of the enemy for so long and offered up the blessings of God in exchange for defeat, despair, disease, and depression. I'm telling you today, if you walked into this place with your head bowed low under the weight of depression, under the weight of a trial, under the weight of despair and hopelessness, God is wanting to give you freedom today. God is wanting to remind you one more time that he has you in the palm of his hand. He's wanting to remind you one more time that you don't have to listen to the lies of an enemy, that your past does not define you. What mama said, what daddy said does not define you. What your friends did to you do not define you. What ministry perhaps in your life had done to you does not define you because he is going to define you according to his call, his purpose, his plan, and it is going to become something beautiful that is able to be used in his kingdom. You see, David may not have had all the answers in that moment, but he was faced with a question. He was faced faced with the trial and he was faced with the test and we find that something happened between the heartbreak of Absalom and Psalm chapter 3 when we have David fleeing and Shimei arising he wrestled with external enemies he was wrestling with eternal feelings of defeat yet when he paused to contemplate his predicament as indicated in verse 2 of Psalm chapter 3 he discovered a better approach You see, he said, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say in my soul there is no help for me, God. You see, he took God. He spoke to God and told God exactly where he was at. You see, everybody's turned against me. Nobody thinks there's any hope for, for me to rise to see another day. Everybody's given up. Even my friends are deserting me. My own son has betrayed me. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm questioning your call. I'm questioning the crown that was placed upon my head. I'm questioning whether or not I'm still in your will, whether or not you still love me. You still have a plan for me. And yet something happens in that little selah, which is a pause for reflection in the Hebrew. Because he rises from that and his stance changes from hopelessness and despair and defeat. And his faith begins to rise to a crescendo. You see, I promise you, there are times in your life where you're going to have to wrestle with God. There are times in your life where you're going to have to bring him your protest, your I don't understand, I don't get it, I don't know what you're doing. How can you still love me and allow this to happen? And only in wrestling through that protest does praise begin to rise in your heart. Only in looking at him and saying, God, I do not understand. God, if you're not going to fix this situation instantaneously, then you're going to have to fix my heart. I don't understand how you're going to be a waymaker in this situation, but I know you can be a waymaker. And I'm wrestling right now. So he brought his feelings of defeat. He brought the reality of where he currently stood and what he was wrestling with. And he brought it into the hands of God who was able to touch. And we see 
Proceeding down to verse three, he said, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. You see, he looked to God as his protector. Folks, when your mind is under attack, when your heart is under attack, again, no self-defense mechanism is going to function. No personal armor is going to win the day. You've got to look to God and say, God, I need you to protect my heart. You know, the Bible says that we're to keep our heart with all diligence. And how do we do that when the heart is desperately wicked and who can know it? Which means we can't even know it. We trust our heart into the only one who can protect it. The only one that can preserve it. And we say, God, I'm laying down all my armor. I'm laying down everything that I'm trying to protect against. And I'm just going to allow you to be my shield in this moment. Are you willing to lay down your armor in the heat of battle? Because see, affliction will bend you beneath its weight. It will drive your face into the earth. But God will lift up your focus. And when you begin to look on him, your whole perspective begins to change. You see, I can look at a situation and I can logically tell you all the reasons why I shouldn't be in ministry. You can look at your situation and you can, you can identify every reason why God shouldn't call you. Every reason why brokenness should define you. I don't care if you grew up on an apostolic pew or not. I don't care if you grew up in a two-parent home or not. That's the, the work of the enemy. We can identify all of the reasons why we're incapable or unworthy. But guess what? God doesn't tell us to introspectively look at ourselves. He doesn't tell us just to wrestle with our own character and to decide for ourselves whether or not we're worthy of his call. He says, give me your unworthiness and I will make you worthy. He says, look in my face and you're going to recognize that, that I'm worthy of your all. And when you give me your all, I'm able to make something that is of, of, of vast worth, that is able to transform lives and hearts, that it's able to be used for the kingdom of God. So as you begin to focus on him, when you say you are my shield, you're my protector, and you're going to lift up my head so I see your character and who you are. Folks, in the midst of battle, if you do not have a grasp of the character of God, it's very difficult to be sustained. But I promise you, the battle, the trial, the test, the storms that come in life give you a front row seat to exactly how great God's character is, to his magnificence, his majesty, his wonder, his omnipotent power, his glory, and his greatness. And when you begin to recognize who he is, whole nother sermon, I'm not going to preach it, I promise, but sometimes he's God of the storm. He steps in and says, peace be still. But can I tell you in my life, I've, I've met him as being the God of the storm many times. I've been instantaneously healed. I've had him step into situations where there seemed to be no way and instantaneously change darkness into light. But you know what I've learned the most? Is when instead of an instantaneous move of God, he sustained me in the storm. And he wasn't just God of the storm, but he was God in my storm because it gave me a front row seat to who he was. And suddenly I recognized the character that was strong enough to handle all of my insecurities and all of my questions and all of my weaknesses and all of my, my hang-ups. And I recognized that I could cast all those things on him. I could admit every one of those things to him. And guess what? He could sustain me. He could perfect me in his image. That's what the battle does. That's what the trial does. It perfects you. And how does it perfect you? It perfects you because it makes you in the image of the one whose character you suddenly recognize. It's not just words you say, he's the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords, he's my way maker. But when he steps into the situation and you see him act, it transitions who you are. And you can't sing those songs in the same way you sang them previously. It transforms the way that you preach, the way that you write music, the way that you teach. Because suddenly it becomes the depth of your reality. I need to hasten on. Verse 4, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. He heard me out of his holy hill. Desperation drives us to cry out, but our voice will never fall on deaf ears. 
Friends, wherever you're at in life, whatever your trial, whatever your test, he hears you. And he's not only able to respond, but he will respond. Even when it doesn't seem like he's listening, even when you don't hear his voice, I promise you he is working on your behalf. He is able to fight your battle. He's able to persevere, and he is a God of victory in every situation. Why do some situations not turn out in victory? Could it be perhaps because we don't allow him to reign victorious? He heard out of his holy hill. That's the place representative of God's presence and his mercy. The place where his mercy seat dwelt in Mount Zion. Verse 5, I laid me down and slept. I wake for the Lord sustained me. You see, David, when he should have not been able to sleep, when he should have been wrestling into the wee hours of the night, when he should have been unable to close his, his eyes and repose because of the battles that he was fighting, because of the, the attacks on his soul and attacks on his, his calling, attacks on the kingdom, he was able to close his eyes in complete confidence. Though the battle was raging, David was going to rest peacefully because he understood who sustained him. You see, too often we try to sustain ourselves. We try to make it on our own. We try to be strong enough. We try to be wise enough. We try to fly under the radar so nobody knows that we're struggling through a trial or a test. But when we recognize that we can't sustain ourselves, we can't give ourselves sustenance, we can't, we can't create water and create in a desert, we can't create food in a place where there seems to be no food, it's going to take God to sustain us. Suddenly we recognize we can close our eyes and sleep because we have confidence that the God who preserved us yesterday is able to preserve us today. Victory comes when you have a song of praise on your lips, even though your heart feels crushed beneath the weight of a trial. Victory comes and, and confidence, faith comes when you're able to praise him, even despite the uncertainty of the circumstances. He says, I will not be afraid of 10,000 people that have set themselves against me round about. When he recognized that God was defending him, he recognized that no danger could touch him. Now, does that mean that, that he couldn't be afflicted? Does that mean that the stones didn't hurt? Does that mean that he had to pretend like he, wait, he, he could wear a badge of distinction, that nothing would hurt him? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a bunch of stupidity. <laughs> Sorry. But that truth is, it's, it's, it's not the way life works because we're emotional beings. Words do hurt. hurt. Um, uh, when people turn their back on you, it does hurt. When people stab you in the back, it does hurt. But at the end of the day, he recognized no matter what danger came to him, no one could take away from him his position as a child of God. No one could steal from him his relationship with God. Whether I rise, whether I fall, whether I'm exalted back into the kingship, or I die and close my eyes in death, I trust that God has me. I trust that he can sustain me. I trust that he is never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. So I'm still going to pursue him as a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? In the midst of the trial or the test, you may not understand how it's going to work out because God doesn't give you a roadmap from beginning to end. Boy, that would be nice. We would all love to have that. I probably would still get lost along the way because I'm terrible with directions, but it would at least make me feel better about life. But the fact of the matter is that isn't how it works. But guess what? You can trust him. Guess what? You can know that he is there for you. Guess what? You can know that, that whether it turns out the way that you expect it to turn out or not, there's no one that can take your salvation from you. There's no one that can take the call of God away from you. The only way you're going to defeat, the only way you're going to die in the trial is if you choose surrender. Friends, God has too much for you ahead to choose surrender. 
God has too much that he is, he is desiring to do in your life and in the ministry that he's got called you to for you to give up and surrender and turn around and defeat. He says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. His testimony gave him faith for his present need. Folks, sometimes you can't find a reason for praise in the moment, but if you begin to look back at what God's done in the past, when you begin to look at what he's taken you through, when you begin to recognize and remember the price that he paid at Calvary, you can suddenly find a reason to praise. And as you begin to recall those things in mind, faith begins to rise. Because the same God who had smitten his enemies in the past gave him, could save him in the present and bring him victory. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. Salvation, both physical and spiritual, belongs to God alone. To be saved, you have to go through with him. If God is in control, then all things will be well. You see, God has more than rotten curses and rotten potatoes. Again, I'm getting, I'm hastening to close. If the musicians want to come, I'm almost through. Now I've taken a little more time than I probably should have. But the fact of the matter is, some of you walked into this place very confident of the call of God on your life feeling like separating yourself from the struggles that were at home, the struggles that you feel like have identified you and defined you for so many years would be just the separation you needed in order to grow in the kingdom of God and to become what he's called you to be. But as soon as you walked through the doors of IBC, trials and tribulations came. And suddenly all those things that had afflicted you for years previously have come back into the forefront. And you've begun wrestling with some of those same things. You see, let me tell you the reality of ministry. You know, Brother Turner, you were talking about the fact that it changes when you begin being one of the primary voices that you hear preaching. The fact of the matter is sometimes God preaches you into a corner with a sermon that you're preaching. Can I just tell you that there are times you preach under the anointing of God? This is just reality. Now, I'm not a singer. I wish I was. I love music, but I'm not a singer. But I'm sure the same is true of singing as well. But there are times that you preach that you teach under the anointing of God. And you feel his strength so strong that you feel like you could say to the mountain, be thou removed, and it would be removed. But you walk back, and you lay back down, and you try to close your eyes and sleep. And suddenly, those same, those same, those same afflictions are fighting against you again. Suddenly, Shimmy is speaking into your heart and mind again. And all that faith that you felt like you had in that moment begins to, to, to feel like it's dissipating. And you begin wrestling with those things again. But guess what? God is there in the trial and in the test. Just because you're wrestling with the lies of the enemy, just because you're wrestling with the reality of where you came from and your experiences and what you've been through does not mean God has forsaken you, does not mean that you are less than in the kingdom of God or that he's unable to use you. It doesn't mean you're wearing a big sign that says broken. It simply means he loves you enough to not leave you where you currently are. It just means he loves you enough to extend his grace and mercy again. IBC, let's go ahead and stand up. I promise you there is not a person in this place. There's no shame in walking to the altar at the end of this service because there's not a person in this place that has not struggled with the lies of the enemy. There's not a person that hasn't struggled with questioning whether or not God was done with them or whether or not defeat was going to be the end of their song. But I tell you, in the deepest places of affliction, in the deepest trials, are the places where your greatest victory songs are going to come. The sermons that you think are going to come just simply from watching blinded eyes being opened, that's not where those best sermons are going to come from. Those best songs are going to come from the deepest places of affliction, where you wrestled with God, where you wrestled with the call of God. The songs that are going to move the next generation aren't going to come from the easy times. It's not gonna come just from times of revival. It's gonna come when you were in a quiet place of prayer and you felt the assault of the enemy and you said, even, even if 
you're done with me, God. Even if I never feel your presence again, the fact that I felt your presence before is simply enough. I'm going to trust you with my heart. I'm going to trust you with my life. Folks, there are people here that are carrying a heavy burden. Some of you are carrying a heavy burden. I don't want anybody to leave this place with the same burden they came in with. I don't want anyone to leave this place fearful that God is not going to use them, that God doesn't love them, and that God doesn't care. I don't want anyone to walk out of here and to believe the lies of the enemy or to backslide on the pews of IBC. Let's lift our hands and let's begin to talk to God for a few minutes. These altars are open. And like I said, there's no shame in coming to this altar and saying, I'm wrestling with God because there's not a person in this place that has not been there. But God is here. God is willing to touch. And God is wanting to give you the victory over the trials and tribulations that that you're afraid you're not going to make it through. You may not know how you're going to take another step. And God is going to strengthen you. He's going to undergird you. He's going to uphold you so that your feet cannot slip from the path that he's designed for you. But you have to trust him. You have to be real with him. You have to be vulnerable with him. There's no lie of the enemy that can defeat you, IBC, unless you choose to surrender and unless you choose to defeat. He is the God of victory, and he gives his children victory because he loves you as a father loves his child. Come on. There are ministries that will be defined by whether or not you choose surrender and defeat or whether you choose victory today. I'm not promising that it's going to be instantaneous, but I'm promising you that if you commit yourself to him in this moment, he's going to give you what is needed to sustain you. So you can lay your head down and sleep. So you can be confident that he is your defense, that he is your armor, that he is your shield, and that he will protect your heart. Fall Preview Weekend registration is open right now. It's open to the first 100 people who register. We are capping this event at 100 people, and registration closes October 15th. Check it out on the IBC website, indianabible.college. We hope to see you there. Good news to all the musicians and worship leaders who use multi-tracks. The Welcome Home album multi-tracks are now available on the IBC store. That was formerly voicevision.com. It is now the IBC store accessible at store.indianabible.college. There are multi-tracks, chord charts from Welcome Home as well as previous albums. Check it all out at the IBC store.